So first of all, how many of you have been enjoying this Disciple Series? And I don't even know really if enjoying is the right word. Because should we be enjoying it? <laughs> I don't know, because really it's to change us. And changing sometimes is hard and it's uncomfortable. Um, and so um, those of you that may be visiting for the first time or maybe if you've been missing uh, the last few weeks, it would be such a good idea to go back to our uh, YouTubes and watch the messages that Dustin has spoken and even Devin's recap uh, one week. It's all good stuff. Even if you're here, I think we need to go back, all of us anyway, and watch it because this, like I said, is supposed to be life-changing. Um, so before we get started, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to pray over us. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, thanking you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that we have felt already in this place through our worship. And Lord, I'm asking you now this time in the service, if you would just calm us all down, um, anything that we might be worried about or are thinking about, uh, I ask that you would um, remove those from, from our minds so that we can clearly hear what you are wanting to say today through... Um, through your word and through what you're doing in my life, God, I just commit myself to you and ask you to speak through me. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, the one thing I keep coming back to that Dustin has said, probably every service is, disciple is who we are and what we do. Um, and that's really been like getting in my mind and I hope it has yours as well. But I'm going to take you on my personal journey because I feel like to take you uh, through the journey that God has been taking me on these last few weeks, you need to kind of know where I come from. So I will apologize right now to you women that have heard a lot of this in our, uh, our Wednesday night uh, classes for our bridge women. But I want everybody to understand where I'm coming from, okay? When I was a little girl, I was very shy. I... Uh, really chose not to talk to people because I was always worried about what they would think of me and that I would say something really stupid. Have any of you ever felt like that or is it just me? And so um, through school, I got good grades, but on my report cards, you would see the teacher say, you know, she's doing great except she just won't participate. That was me. I didn't participate. Uh, I did have some friends at church because we went to a little church and like the pastor had six kids and my mom and dad had five kids and we were always together. So they were my friends. I felt comfortable with them. But at school, eh, I didn't have friends. And not, it wasn't anybody else's fault. It was my fault. Uh, so we moved to St. Louis when I was going in third grade. And for third, fourth, and fifth grade, I was in um, a particular um, elementary school, and I had a friend. Her name was Mary. I have no clue how she got through my wall, but she was my friend, and they didn't live too far from us either, so we played together at school. We'd ride our bikes after school, and uh, but then I changed schools again, and back to, I just wasn't comfortable meeting people. So through high school, <laughs> I just don't have friends at high school, <laughs> 
but unless you went to my church. Our youth group was a small youth group, and there were a few of us that went. Um, and you might think, oh, that poor little shy girl, but it wasn't. It was just I had an issue with how to deal with people. Uh, but on a good note, I had been raised in church all my life. The first time I went to church, I was 13 days old. And since that day, I've been in church probably three, four, five times a week. Um, and then when I was seven, I had my own personal experience with Jesus. I was filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized, and it just rocked my world. Um, I loved going to church. I never remember asking my mom and dad if I could stay home. Number one, it was never an option. But uh, I loved everything about church. I loved the worship, the singing. I loved going to Sunday school and learning all the Bible stories. There's so many cool Bible stories. And I got to learn them from a very young age. And I don't know how many hundreds of messages I have sat and listened to through pastors and various ministers. And I just loved it. But when I think about the great commandment that Jesus told us about in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. When somebody questioned Jesus about, you know, all those commandments we had in the Old Testament, which are the most important ones? And Jesus said, well, first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and mind. And the second is like to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Looking back, I think I, I did much better on the first part, but the second part, I really didn't do so good. Um, and it continued into my 20s. Steve and I got married. We had met at 16, got married at 19, had Devin at 22. Um, and we had changed churches when he was, when Devin was a baby because Steve's dad had been a pastor in Chicago and came back and took a church here in Maplewood. And so we started attending that church. And Steve was youth pastor. I was music director. We were heavily involved. But I still felt uncomfortable with people. So bad that there were many times after service, I would slip off the platform by the side door after getting off the piano or the organ, and I'd go downstairs in the dark because I didn't want to talk to people. I was so worried about what people thought of me and that I would say something so stupid and they would just all laugh at me. If I had to go to a function, a work function with Steve, you know where you'd find me? glued to his side, and preferably slightly behind him because I didn't want people to see me and want to come talk to me because what would I say? What would I say? Well, I think, what am I doing? Is that better? Hopefully we'll find out. So about my late 20s, early 30s, I heard a quote, and it made me so stinking mad. Uh, and I started dwelling on it. And this was the quote. I don't know where I saw it or where I heard it, but the quote was, shy people are very selfish people because all they think about is themselves. Ooh, I was mad. Like, how dare they? They don't even know me. 
I mean, how rude. But the more I thought about it, you know who I saw? Well, it just so happened that Steve and I were involved in a business to make a little bit of extra money. And about this time, um, they started teaching us how to meet people. So they would literally practice with us shy people how to walk up to a person and stick out your hand, look them in the eye and say, hi, I'm Crystal. And then they taught us uh, to think of the acronym FORM. Have any of you heard this? F-O-R-M. Because it gives you something to talk about to people that you don't know. F is family. Everybody's got one in some way, shape, or form. Um, O is occupation. Again, if you don't have one, your husband does or your kids do or something. Recreation was the R, and then M was money because we were trying to make more money. But it's amazing how that changed things for me. I started practicing, and yes, it was very uncomfortable. But I would. I just started noticing people. I would make myself go up and, hi, my name is Crystal. And we'd get to talk. And life became so much interesting, more interesting than just my stuff. And I really started falling in love with people. So I'm telling you all this because we're going somewhere. I promise how this series is affecting me. Um, Also in my 30s, even though I had been raised in church, I knew all the Bible stories. And as a teenager, I had been in a competitive Bible quiz team that we traveled throughout the states. So I could quote the book of 1 Samuel. I could quote the whole book of Acts. But I had never really studied the Bible for myself. I had just listened to what everybody else told me, um, and I enjoyed it. But at one point, I'm like, you know what? I need to find out for myself. And I started with the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the Gospels. It's the life of Jesus as he lived here on earth. Um, And the other thing I did was I got a version of the Bible that made sense to me because I had been raised with one certain version that was very um, old-fashioned, very therefore, thou's, you know, these and thou's, and, and, um, and I loved it, but I just didn't really understand it that well, so I got me a version that I understood, and I loved it. I mean, like, it was like God was just flinging open my understanding, and I'm seeing things, and while I'm reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I see Jesus, how he loved people. He adored people. Like he would come across people that had some major issues and would fix it. Have you ever noticed that when reading through the Bible? If somebody was sick, what did he do? He healed them. If somebody was hungry, he fed them. And you know, the very most cool thing I think was I started noticing how Jesus just loved everybody. He didn't have just certain groups that he really loved, but he loved everybody. It didn't matter if you were a man or a woman or even children. He'd say, bring those babies to me. He loved people. He really didn't care about people's financial standings. He talked to the rich. He talked to the poor. He didn't really care about nationalities, which was a big thing if you're a Jew in that day. 
you did not talk to anybody that wasn't a Jew. Jesus, he did. And he really didn't even let lifestyles prevent him from loving people. In fact, um, he chose some of the most unlovable people to love. In that day, a tax collector was like considered the scum, like nobody, the Romans nor the Jews wanted anything to do with them. But Jesus looked past all of that, and he loved even the tax collectors. In fact, he loved one so much that he made him one of his personal disciples. Another guy named Zacchaeus, one day Jesus invited himself to this guy's house to eat. He just loved people. And, you know, he did so much more than just meet their physical needs. He went past that. And there's a few verses I'm going to share with you. Uh, Luke 19.10, Jesus told the people, I came to this earth to seek out and to save that which was lost you and me. In another time, um, I think it's Mark 1.15, Jesus was teaching the people to repent. He wanted people to turn to God and believe the good news. One time, he had just been preaching in the temple and afterwards kind of tried to find a way alone for a little bit, and people followed him anyway because people love Jesus in return. Isn't that funny how if you love people, they love you too? But these people were like, no, don't leave us. Tell us more, tell us more. And he's like, you know what, guys? I have to go because I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why I was sent. See, Jesus knew why he had been sent, and he accomplished it. That was just so intriguing to me, and I was reminded as we're going through this series of the part of following Jesus, of being a disciple of Jesus. This, this is the Jesus we're talking about. This is the guy we're, we're really working at being a better disciple of. You know, after Jesus died, uh, he was buried and he rose again. He took another 40 days or so. He wanted to make sure everything was ready before he ascended into heaven. And we find in Matthew 28, he comes to his disciples and he tells them to go make disciples. So you know what I thought in these last few weeks? I've been studying, I've been praying, I've fasted a little bit because I'm, I want God to change me and to be a better disciple and to disciple better. I thought, how cool would it be to look firsthand at one of Jesus' personal disciples and see how he made disciples? I'm weird like that. But, okay, so I, I chose Peter because Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had three of the 12 that was even closer to him. Peter was one of those. So we're talking about a guy that saw everything that Jesus did. He saw all the healings. He saw Jesus feed. He saw Jesus love. He saw Jesus talk to the Romans. He saw him talk to the Samaritans. And he sat in many, many messages right on the front row with everything that Jesus was teaching and preaching. So what did he do when Jesus told him to go make disciples? So 
The next book of the Bible after the Gospels is the book of Acts. One of my favorite books, it was one I did some Bible quizzing on, so um, right away I'm thinking, okay, Acts 1, you see Jesus talking to his disciples, and then about verse 9, he ascends into heaven, but he tells them to wait because he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And then chapter 2, it happens, the Holy Spirit comes, and then we find Peter preaching. And he's saying, repent of your sins, just like he had seen Jesus do. We go to the next chapter, verse 3, and now Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. They knew the time the prayer meeting started, but you know what happened? They saw a lame man on their way to temple. So should they just rush on by because they don't want to be late to prayer meeting? No, they did what Jesus would have done. First of all, they saw the man, just like Jesus would have done. Jesus was never too busy to see people. They stopped, and Peter said, I know you want money. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. He did a Jesus thing, and he literally touched the man by the hand, and he raised him up and said, you're healed. And the Bible tells us that the man gained full strength in his legs and went walking and leaping and praising God. Man, that was so much like something Jesus would have done. Then in Acts 6, we see Peter and the disciples. As the church was growing, they saw needs that maybe they hadn't noticed before, but there was a need for the widows to be taken care of for just basic needs, food, clothing, housing. And Peter, along with the disciples, set up a committee of men to take care of that need, just like Jesus would have done. In Acts 10... We see Peter having a dream, and God is telling him to go pray for a Gentile guy, a guy, a Roman centurion, I can't even say it, but somebody that Jews shouldn't be talking to. So what do you think he did in Jesus' fashion? He went, and the man received the Holy Spirit in his whole family because Peter was simply doing what he had seen Jesus do. That's how you disciple others. You learn who you are following, who you are a disciple of, and then you repeat. Mm. So all of this has been going over in my mind. And then I got to thinking, you know, that wasn't the end of Peter. Before he died, before he was actually executed, another thing he had in common with Jesus. um, But he wrote a couple little letters that are in the Bible it's First and Second Peter, and I don't know. It's toward the very end of the book. I don't know if you've read them or not. But it's just so full of wisdom and practical advice on how we, as disciples of Jesus, are supposed to live. And he said things like this, because now the disciple of Jesus is even discipling us yet today. He said, sympathize with each other. He said, love each other, like your brothers and sisters, that kind of deep love. He said, be tenderhearted with each other. Be humble. All stuff he heard from Jesus. But then he said, most important, he said, 
show deep love one for another because love covers a multitude of sin. Have you ever noticed the more you love somebody, the less you see their faults? That's what love will do for you. So just remember, this Peter was just an ordinary guy. He had no special education. He didn't come from some prestigious family. He was simply doing what he had seen Jesus do. Um, And now it's our turn. We got the same command, too, to go and make disciples. So what are we going to do about it? What is Crystal, this shy little girl that, to be really honest, sometimes I want to revert back to that. You know, it's just... If you're not feeling good, you're hungry, you're tired, start thinking about Crystal. But I can't go there. I can't go there. I've, I've got something better that I've been called to do. Um, and so through this journey that I'm t- taking you on of my journey, I have been really studying and praying, and I've come across a book called Unshockable Love, and I had read it. A few years ago, and some of the stuff is still stuck in my head, but through this series, it's brought it all back again. It used to be called Mud and the Masterpiece. And I want to share an analogy that is really um, opening my eyes on how God wants us to love people. So if you don't mind, we're going to take a little trip, okay? Okay, so you and me, we go to Paris. And the first thing we do is we go to the largest art museum in the world, the Louvre, Louvre, Louvre. And we are standing right in front of the Mona Lisa. Do you know the estimated value of the Mona Lisa right now is $850 million? And we're standing in front of this picture of the Mona Lisa, this masterpiece and it's pretty cool. Well, a couple days later, you and me, we're still in Paris, uh, and we decide to go visit one of those little cafes we've heard so much about, and we're going to grab some lunch. So we see this alley, a little shortcut. So we take off down the alley. We notice there's some trash against one of the buildings, and we don't pay much attention until we get close, and we're like, wow, that one looks like a piece of art that we had just seen in the art museum. Isn't that weird? We're talking, and we get closer, and we stop and look at each other because you know what? It's the Mona Lisa. The only reason we know is because we could tell that mouth, you know, that well-known mouth. But otherwise, it just had mud splattered all over it. It had some rips and tears. It was in bad shape. So you and I, we need to decide what we're going to do about it. Are we going to go on to the cafe where we were headed and just leave it? Because it's in such bad shape, let's be real. Or are we going to stop and pick it up, take it back to our room and try to clean it up, get some water and washcloths and maybe a little glue and try to fix it? Or are we going to take it to a master restorer who will bring it back to its original value? And do you know what the Bible refers to people as? Masterpieces. To be really honest, every one of us have had a bunch of mud slung at us. We've got some rips and tears because life is not easy. But if we call ourselves born-again believers, 
and followers of Jesus Christ is because somebody in our life looked past all that. They looked past all the mud and the junk, and they slowly, gently, patiently took us to Jesus, the master restorer. And since he's been working on restoring us to that masterpiece that he knows is in there, but what about us? How do we see people? Do we think some people are just too far gone? They got too much mud, too many problems. We just don't have time for it. We got places to go, people to see. Or do we see past the mess that their life is in? No one is going to take us out of our comfort zone. It's going to take us away from the things that we thought we were going to do. And it's going to take us a lot of patience to slowly, patiently do what somebody did for us. Plead them to the master restorer. See, Jesus thinks every single person, no matter how muddied up they are, are so valuable, valuable that he actually died for their sins. That's how valuable every single person on this planet is. So how are we going to see people? How are we going to disciple people? You know, as I try to boil everything down so far that I'm learning, that I'm feeling, um, I've started noticing that I am feeling a deeper love for people than normally and not just my friends and my family that I'm really, really close to, but even people at work that um, have always been my friend, you know, surface friend. But um, the Lord has been opening my eyes more so that I see what they're going through. And God has been giving me a boldness, too, that most shy people don't have. Um, and I've been stepping out of my comfort zone and saying, can I pray for you? And you know, nobody has told me no. Really, rather you not? And so I have just been praying like I pray at home for these people. And every single person has thanked me. And they have shared with me the things God has answered our prayer for. And I have found myself crying for joy. I have found myself crying as I felt their pain. And like I told our life group the other day, none of these people live close, so it's not like I'm trying to win them to the bridge church, although I want everybody to come. But you know what I do want to win them to? Jesus. Wherever they live, wherever they are, more than anything, I want them to experience what I've experienced how it feels to be loved despite all of my junk, how to feel peace and loved by the creator. And so that's the journey I'm going on. So I found out two things, and this is what I'm going to leave you with. I found out I want to be a better disciple. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to be so close to Jesus that I start picking up his attributes more and more and more. So I want to be a better disciple, and I want to disciple better. 
If we would all just bow our heads right now while we're sitting in the presence of the Lord. I don't know where you are on your personal journey of being a disciple or discipling others, but I want to encourage you to keep going wherever you are. Maybe you're somebody that hasn't even started your journey with Jesus, and it's not too late. The Bible tells us we believe and confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Son of God. He actually came and died on this earth so that we can be saved. We too can be saved. And then once God saves you, it's time for us to be about the Father's business of giving this awesome opportunity to others that may have never heard of the name of Jesus or only heard the things, the distorted version of Jesus that so much of our world gets today. But if they can really meet the true Jesus, their lives will be forever changed. And someday they will look at you and thank you. Thank you for taking the time and thinking they were important enough and valuable enough to bring to the master Restore. Heavenly Father, we feel your presence in this place and are just so humbled that you would take time to talk to us. We want to take our lives, the rest of our lives, and be the best disciple and disciple others the best we can. And Lord, we know so many of your personal disciples literally laid down their lives to do what you asked us to do. And Lord, we may never have to do that. We never may be asked to lay down our lives. But what you have asked us to do is to live for you. Maybe not die for you, but live for you. So help us to be encouraged in you today and take these things that you have shared with us. We want to see your kingdom grow, all for your praise and all for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.